Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today is an old promise that I made one day to teach us about how to obey the word of God. One time I made a very stern statement and I said, many people in the world know the truth, especially those of you who come from ministries like this one, where we're teaching you sound doctrine every week of the day. You folk know so much, but sometimes we don't see the reconciliation between what you know and what we practice. And I realized this, that people have not been taught To obey the truth. To obey the truth. It's a teaching. It's an instruction. Because it's one thing to be taught the truth. But it's another to be taught how to obey. Obedience is a very special instruction in the Christian faith. You know, for example, the truth. That if your brother wrongs you, what do you do? Forgive them. 70 times 7 times. You read it in Matthew. I have been teaching it for as long as you remember. And then, two, three, four, five years, somebody seated in the ministry, but they're still dealing with unforgiveness. But they know the truth about unforgiveness. They're not like one who doesn't know. Perhaps there's one who doesn't know. When they learn that it's important to forgive, they will what? Forgive. There's another. They don't want to do it, even when they know that they should. No, no, for example, I've taught about gossip and slander. You know what the Bible says, that you should not gossip about your brothers and sisters. You should not slander each other. The Bible speaks of our responsibility and commitment toward God to the intent that because of how he has dealt with us, is a way we are supposed to deal with particular, all our neighbors. Love your neighbor as thyself. If you cannot expose yourself, how do you expose your neighbor? See, the Bible says, speak evil of no man, okay? You know the truth that you're not supposed to be speaking evil of no man. But you find that you're speaking evil of men. You find that you're gossiping and slandering your fellow brothers and sisters. And yet you know the truth. You see, that is a conversation I want us to have. The Bible tells you that you shouldn't do this. And then you find yourself doing it. And in doing that, Some of us even build doctrines to justify what is wrong. The Bible tells you how to live right, and then you live the other way, and you continue doing that every year without any ounce of conviction, or at least if it is there, you have learned to suppress it by some other thing, and you again clothe it with some spirituality. And that's where many of us are living today. And ladies and gentlemen, that is disobedience. That is rebellion. If you know, for example, there's a Bible tells you, you have to give your first fruits and you have to give your tithes. You know, this is a scriptural teaching, but you don't do it. You don't want to do it. And then you land in trouble, but you still won't do it. 
yet you know what to do. But it's not new. You're not the first one. And not only the people that I'm talking to, even us as ministers, we also deal with our lot. Are you following what I'm saying? We also struggle in one area or another in fulfillment of certain things. And then you try and then do what you're supposed to do. Are you following what I'm saying? That's the truth. Even Paul went through it in Romans chapter 7. He says, that which I will to do, I do not. But that which I hate, that I do. He struggled with that too. So he started to seek the Lord about it. Like I perhaps among some people, I have taken time to seek God about that issue. And he has dealt with me in so many ways. So many ways. And it's what I want to give you today. Because all these words I'm going to tell you are very important to help you learn to obey the truth. I find it so painful when a fellow brother has to repeat to you what you know, you should know and do. Or a fellow sister has to repeat to you what you know you should do. And you know it's wrong, but you find yourself doing it. And like I said earlier, it's even worse that some of us even justify it through scriptures. The Bible says we do mischief by some law. The Bible calls that the seat of all iniquity. What is the seat of all iniquity? When a man can use the Bible to break another law in the Bible because it suits their evil work. It suits their evil work. A young man one time was speaking about his friend. And then somebody told this fellow, the Bible says that if a brother has wronged you, go to him. They told the fellow. If he has wronged you, go to him. Do you know what the fellow said? The fellow said, when the Holy Spirit leads me, I will go to him. You see what he's trying to say? is now refusing to take the responsibility of what truth demands by quoting the leading of the Holy Spirit as though the word of God is not spirit. Are you following what I'm saying? The word of God is spirit. Jesus says that the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they're what? And they're life. So he also quoted the certain scripture not to do what he is supposed to do. And for such people, it is because they were not taught to obey the truth. To obey the truth. So, that is what David, or the psalmist, says in Psalms 143 verses 10. His heart's prayer. He says, teach me to do thy will. For thou art my God, Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Teach me to do your will. Teach me to do your will. It's one thing to know it, but it's another to know how to do it. Why would he make that kind of prayer if it was not important? And this I have learned on my days, a list of service and ministry, that if you ever find yourself in some sort of conflict, between the revelation in your spirit and the results of your life. If you ever find yourself under some sort of confusion between the revelation of your spirit and what you claim to know and the results of your life. If you ever find yourself under some sort of ambivalence, a mixture of emotions, feelings, painful feelings, every time you try to reconcile your life with what you know or claim to know, then you have gotten to a place where God is able to reveal to you that space in your life where in almost all cases, you did not do what you knew to do. 
The Bible says, For he that knoweth to do, but doeth not, to him is what? Sin. It's not counted on the ignorant person. But when you know what to do, and you do not do it, you do not do it. I've realized that everywhere there's a space of conflict where you see a contrast. You see an imbalance between what you know and what you see as results and answers in your life. Usually if you study yourself very keenly, you'll find a point of disobedience. A point where you refuse to do what you should have done and what you need to do. I have people who say, Apostle, I've been in this gospel for so many years. I have prayed. I have fasted. I have tithed. I've interceded. I've done everything to the book, but I don't see results in my life. Such deeper. You will find that there is a, some sort of disobedience. It's always there. Sometimes the frustrations of our destinies are in the hidden things of the human heart. And sometimes except the Lord star certain circumstances to awaken those things, we might never know them. And some of these things are things God cannot work with. He can only wait for you to mature into. He will give you his grace to walk through them. But to take that grace or not is entirely up to you. It's entirely up to you. For example, he will give you grace to pray. But as of whether you choose to pray or not, it goes back to you. You see? He'll give you the grace to believe. But as of whether you believe or not, it's really up to you. And the Lord can wait for you until you come to reconciliation of what he has promised you. Many people are actually in that stage. But what about the things that are hidden that we're not able to see? We're not able to see. When you look at the story of Moses as an example, the Bible tells us that that man dealt with anger. It was hidden in there. It was not something that appeared every day. He said he was the most humble man on the earth. He never used to appear every day. Most of his life, it was hidden. It was deep, but it was hidden. And then one day at the point where it had to come out, he's almost finishing his assignment. And God says, no, you're not going any far from here because you did not believe me and sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. And a man's destiny was cut short. And because our God is a God of contingencies, I've already told people when it comes to assignment, mandate, God puts contingencies. Gifts, uh-uh, he doesn't. Because the gifts are without repentance. Whether you are serving his purpose or not, if a gift is given, God doesn't mind gifts, quite honestly. He values mandates and assignments above the giftings. That is why that's the one thing everybody has access to. He tells us, desire the best gifts. That means you can ask for a gift and get it. That's for everybody. Some have it in bigger measures than others. And quite honestly, God doesn't care how much gifting you have. But his heart is where his assignment is. His heart is where his mandate is. His heart is where his purpose is. That's where he is. That's why he puts contingencies. I've said of the story of Reinhard Bonnke where God told him that I've called men to do what I'm calling you to do. Three of them or so. And he said, if you don't, Reinhard, I'm going to raise another man. That doesn't mean that the gift would leave, Reinhard. It only means that the assignment would be given to another man. Somebody shout hallelujah. Bible says promotions come from neither east nor west, but they come from God. Who setteth 
up another and then puts one down. That's how it works. I've said this before, that God doesn't need to take anything from you. He just needs to raise something better and give it to another man. Assignments are like that. God can assign and reassign any day. And God is not limited to the glory operating on your life because he can always raise better. In God, in God, in God, in God, there will always be more. Somebody shout hallelujah. And then you say, oh, why have I failed to settle in marriage? Oh, why have I failed to do this business? Oh, why is this career failing? Why is my boss always on my case? Oh, why am I the one hated? Why am I the one rejected? Oh, that I've done nothing wrong. No, in your eyes. In your eyes. And you can choose to stay aloof and adamant. And say, oh, no, I've done nothing wrong. Or you can take time and actually inquire of God examining yourself he says whether you be in the faith except he said you be reprobates every now and then as christians we have to take time and examine ourselves individually some of you your time is on pointing fingers on who is working who isn't working who is pregnant who isn't that's what you do the whole day you see you have to stop living without and take more time reflecting on yourself because there's only one person you have control over in this world. You, yourself. Somebody shout, hallelujah. The psalmist says in Psalms 119, verses 5, if you read the Amplified Version, he said, oh, that my ways were directed and established to observe your statutes. I wish my ways were directed. This is a man seeking to know and established to observe your statutes. I wish my ways were directed to observe your statutes. I wish they were established to observe your statutes, to learn to obey you. That's the same word. And it continues in the brockets there. Hearing, receiving, loving, and obeying them. Hearing, receiving, loving, and obeying them. Many people do the first three. They hear the word. I receive. Oh, I love the someone. That's where you are. Majority are hearing, receiving, and loving. When it comes to obedience, it's a problem. And the psalmist explains why. That I should not be put to shame by failing to inherit your promise when I have respect to all your commandments. That I might not bring shame in the fulfillment of your promises. Because if you don't understand the reconciliation of this, you will bring shame. Why? You will not look like what you're teaching. You will not look like what you believe. You will not look like what you're confessing. You will not look like what you profess to have in Christ. If you read the message version, he says, all that my steps might be steady, keep into the course you set, verse 6, then I would never have any regrets in comparing my life with your counsel. When I compare my life with your counsel, I might not have regrets. And many believers, I tell you, across the world are living in such regret. Why? Because what you know about God has failed to manifest in your life. And then you started blaming everybody. You blamed the pastor, the prophet. You pointed fingers on the apostle. You pointed fingers on your brother. You pointed fingers on your sister. You pointed fingers on your cousin. You pointed fingers on your boss. You pointed fingers on your mother. You could have been this. You pointed fingers on everybody. You blamed the whole world. You blamed the weather. You blamed the system. Everything is responsible for your failure except yourself. Take that in very deeply and breathe out 
you are responsible for your destiny. Somebody shout hallelujah. There is nothing as dangerous as a life that conflicts with the revelation of God. Yet you know God. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's why I insist that God might direct our ways. That we might learn not only to receive, but we learn to obey. The Bible says, do not be hearers, but doers of the word. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. He uses the word there, deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself. That's the place of conflict. Because you will not look like the word you're speaking. You will not look like the things you believe. You will not look like the ministry you represent. You will not look like the office you claim to carry in God. You will not look like the gifting and assignment that you claim you possess before the Father. Deceiving yourselves, you live a deceived life. And those who observe you will say, she claims to see, but she does not have the results of someone who sees in the Spirit. He claims to hear God, but he does not have the results of a person who hears God. He claims to know God, but the mistakes and errors that are in his life are quite evident that this fellow does not know God as he says. She claims she knows God, but she cannot even believe God for this or that. Because you're deceiving yourself. It's feigned faith. The faith that deceives to the self. Because you don't deceive anybody, you deceive yourself. And if you sit down in your private time to reflect, you realize this thing ain't working. It's not working. And then, like I said, instead of taking responsibility, you're going to start pointing at everything. You're even going to doubt the word, the very word you believed once. Why? Because you have not learned to obey the word of God. There's something, if you search yourself deeply, you will find it. And I want to help you today. Somebody shout hallelujah. So there are three things. I'm going to call them three things. For you to remember, this is a sermon you should listen to constantly. It's not a sermon you should hear only today. You know, some of you have not taken your Christian life seriously yet. But when you do, you realize that there are certain sermons you cannot listen to once or twice if you take your life of Christianity seriously. This is one of them because it will help you. So there are three things I want to give you. To help you, because these are definitive instructions in learning to obey God. I never read them in a book or saw them on a TV or anywhere. These are things that I have seen in my personal work. Things the Lord revealed to me years ago, I have practiced and have worked. They have worked. So I'm not telling you from a book or some other person's experience. I'm going to tell you from my personal experience. Praise the Lord. So there are three things to help you learn to obey the word and walk in truth. Number one, the revelation of love. The revelation of love. Jesus said that if you love me, John 14, 15, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But here is a conversation. The conversation in this point is the revelation of love. What is love? The Greek have four definitions of love. We have eros, which is what? Passion. We have phileo, brotherly love. We have stoge. And then we have agape. Are you following? There is that love you'll have with 
your spouse, there's a love you'll feel for your mother, and there's a love you'll have for a friend. And then there is the love of God, which is agape. Are you following what I'm saying? This is the essence of the person of God. So when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's not saying, if you are my friend. He's not saying, if you are my brother. He's saying, if you love me, agape me, with the love of God, you will keep my word, my commandments. It's almost as though very obvious that a lover of God will and can keep the ways of God. Jesus comes to Peter. He's about to go. So he asks Peter, Simon Peter, son of Jonas, do you love me more than this? And then Peter said, yes, you know that I love you. But the Greek word there used by Jesus is agape. Do you love me with the love of God? And Peter says, Master, I love you. But the Greek word there used for love is phileo. I love you as a friend. Somebody shout hallelujah. Verse 16. Then he said to him the second time, Do you love me? Do you agape me? And then he said, Yes, you know that I phileo you. I love you as a friend. You're my friend. You're my brother. I love you as a brother, friend or as a brother. You see where Jesus is speaking from? Do you love me with the love of God? And this one says, yes, I love you as a man would love a friend. You know that I do. Second time, do you love me with the very love of God? And this man says, yes, I love you as a brother or a friend would love his friend. Deeply. I mean, Peter did love Jesus. If you remember very well, even at the point when they come to attack the man, this guy cuts off a man's ear. He loved him as a friend or a brother would love another. But that's not where Jesus was. Jesus was in agape, the very love of God. That one is higher. Actually, the Bible says in Corinthians, a man can give his body, yet not have the love of God. A man can give his body. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. There are people who have died for the gospel, but they don't love God because they don't love him from where he has revealed agape. They love him from where they understand human love. So this is deep. Revelation of love. Revelation of love. And then the third time again, Jesus asked him, for the third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? Verse 17. And then Peter was grieved in his spirit because he told him the third time. And then he said unto him, you know that I love you. And then Jesus tells him, feed my what? My sheep. But when you study the third time Jesus speaks to him, he uses the word phileo. He doesn't use the word agape. So, first time, do you agape me? He says, I phileo you. Second time, do you agape me? He says, I phileo you. Third time, do you phileo me? And then Peter says, I phileo you. And then he tells him, feed my sheep. And my argument there is, the Lord showed me that was not the mandate God wanted to give Peter. 
That was the mandate he could give Peter because of where Peter saw or understood the way of love. Do you agape me? I phileo you. Do you agape me? I phileo you. Last time, do you phileo me? And then he says, I phileo you. Then he tells him, feed my sheep. That's the mandate of a man who has understood phileo. But what's the mandate of a man who has understood agape? What was Jesus supposed to have told Peter? Because evidently, according to the scripture, we don't see that Peter received the instruction he was supposed to receive. Why? Because the revelation of love in him did not transcend beyond phileo to agape. The instructions of a man who loves God like they love a human being are different from a man who loves God according to the revelation of love agape. They're different mandates and assignments. Are you following what I'm saying? And that is why I'm tempted to think this and I stand to be corrected. But if this was the very man unto whom Jesus said that on this rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail, this very Peter who got the revelation that Christ was the son of God and then Jesus tells him flesh and blood reveal this not unto you but my father which is in heaven and on this rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail on this rock. This was a signification of some sort of foundation on which Jesus would build a what? The church, what are the chances that Peter should have been the man to lay the foundation of the New Testament? But because he didn't have the revelation of agape at that point, but phileo, God then has to choose a Paul who also, the Bible calls the master builder. Paul in his own words, he says, as a master builder, I laid the foundation. So why would Paul lay a foundation yet Peter had been chosen? as a rock on which God was going to build a church, except that the instruction had to change because the man understood God from phileo and not agape. No wonder Peter opened the gospel to the church of the Gentile in the house of Cornelius. No wonder, even though Peter was sent later on to the circumcised as Paul and Barnabas the uncircumcised we always find Peter going to the Gentiles he always had a special heart for the Gentiles that is why he could affirm the ministry of Paul to the Gentiles because he always had a special heart in fact scripture tells you Peter died in Rome what was he doing in Rome when God had called him the Gentile he always had the desire to witness the Gentiles maybe just maybe God had chosen that man to lay the foundation and that is why that was the rock on which he was to build the church but because he didn't have a revelation of the higher love than what a brother would have for a sister, God chose to give him the lesser assignment. So now I learn also that even these assignments that we claim sometimes, or in many cases, are based on where we are able to see God. When your vision of God is elevated, your assignment will elevate. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? So he says, if you agape me, you will keep my commandments. When the love of God is revealed in your spirit, you will find yourself doing things caused by his relationship with you. And why is this important? Because we live in a realm where people understand love from human interpretation. If I said, I love you, what do they mean? Human interpretation. Agape is a revelation higher than feeling. And you know why some of you don't serve God the way you should? It's because you're driven by feeling. You're not driven by a higher law in your spirit. If you feel like serving, you serve. If you feel like going to church, you do. If 
you feel like giving, you gain. If you don't feel like you're giving, you, you see. And when you look at men like Paul, Paul has gone beyond that. He says, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. That's not a man who is preaching anymore under failing. He's a man preaching because he has been controlled and he is led, inspired by some higher law, which is agape. Because the realm of feeling can be deceptive. Look at your primary days. Some of you in primary, you fell in love. And then you saw this beautiful girl. I'm a father too. I've raised children. Huh? Adopted. And then this one tells you they're in love and you're like, hmm. Oh, that's good. Oh, let's pray. And then you wait for them. And then tomorrow, it didn't work. It failed. The relationship failed. I understand why it did. They don't understand love yet. They are still young. Sometimes as a parent, you let them go through those funny emotions. You know, some of us in primary, I thank God, me in primary, I didn't understand that. But I know boys who had girlfriends in P2. They were kissing behind the classroom in P2. You know why some of you are laughing? You were girlfriends to some guys. <laughs> and then you whispered sweet nothings and promised each other heaven and earth. And then you started sharing your breakfast and cut, you know, sharing chocolate and then your dad buys you crayons and then you give him three and then you stay with two you paint pictures together you eat lunch next to each other <laughs> love songs make sense but look at this seven-year-old head how many survive up to adulthood to marriage zero point zero 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 one percent the rest potea they were playing huh? and then you went through high school that's why I, mean, I tell people, those things of I fell in love, they shouldn't scare you. No. How many people have you fallen in love with? How many people have you crushed over? <laughs> Perhaps even next week you're going to crush over somebody. But that has nothing to do with purpose. <laughs> no, I could never leave you. I could I can't live without you. How many people have you told those words? <laughs> Same script, different cast. It just changes. But you're telling everyone the same. Because quite honestly, let me tell you, even the issue, the mystery of marriage, if you have not understood agape, you're not yet ready for marriage. I don't care how much you miss each other, how Saturdays are hotter, how you can't live without this person. I don't care those things. You control my world. You pause it. You rewind it. You forward it. Continue deceiving each other. <laughs> Continue deceiving each other, but you realize that you are deceiving each other. That is why some of the people who even got married earlier, you know, excuse me, the body became fine and then they get entered marriage. And then they realized it was just the what? The body. They were not ready. The revelation of marriage is bigger than feeling because sometimes the feeling might not be there. But you gotta love anyway. Because you're governed by a higher law. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Something bigger tells you whether I feel or I don't feel, I gotta do this. Whether I understand it or I don't, I gotta do this. Whether I'm in it or not, this is who I am. I gotta love this woman. I gotta love this man anyway. Because I'm governed by a higher law. Somebody shout hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. So feelings are important, but they're inferior. Revelation is higher. Somebody shout hallelujah. Revelation is what? Is higher. 
The Lord showed me something that really shocked me. You know those moments where some of you think, oh, how do you know you love God? Because sometimes when I'm worshiping, oh, he's here. And then I feel his presence. And then you tell him, God, you love him. And then something happens there. And then God allows some little chemistry there. And then you say, woo! And then you're like, I love God. And that's your definition. Oh, he gives you a job, gives you a car, gives you a husband. You get everything. And then you say, oh, but God, you have loved me. Why? Because you probably were raised with a tough father who used to beat you up. And so you have nothing to compare love with. He gives bread and rain to the heathen as well. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a good expression of love, but it's not the deeper part of this conversation. So the Lord showed me something. And he said, Grace, every expression of your heart concerning feeling that you'd ever give me, even the stones do it. You remember when the Bible says that if you hold your peace, the stones will immediately cry out and worship me. Even these stones, these things worship God. And that emotion in you to love God, they have to. You just don't think they do because you understand them from one dimension of perspective. Otherwise, Jesus would not have come in form of a rock if he didn't have feelings. These trees, they love God. <laughs> the oceans love God too. The way you feel it and the way you feel like it, they too feel that way. The Lord showed me. They too feel that way. They have emotion. Why they don't have a higher, you know, intellects like paradigms the ability for you to know where you are a stone cannot know that it is laid in logogo you understand what i'm saying higher places of intelligence like the future that you can tell the next 15 16 years that if i tell you 10 years you know that it's a decade and it's 12 months times 12. that's a consciousness that you have that probably those creatures will not have but the feeling of worship they do are you following what I'm saying? So you have to go beyond the issues of I love God and understand exactly what that love is beyond feeling. The love I'm talking about is beyond feeling. Because if you don't take feeling out of the way, you will never obey fully. Why? Because some brother will annoy you and you won't feel like doing what's right. Some sister will get on your nerve and you won't feel like doing what's right. You see a lot of people who say, you know, I'm not going to church, somebody hurt me. <laughs> And there are many people who live there. I'm not going to church because Sister Rachel said this about me. I'm not stepping in that church. So everybody is going to pay price because of one sister. Are you following what I'm saying? Because you move by feeling. That's why they enter this thing so in too much feeling. And then they come out of it with too much feeling. I don't feel this thing is working. And the other person, their person has invested a lot. And so he says, what do you mean it's not working? It's not just not working. What do you mean it's just not working? I don't feel, 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 feel. The city is keeping, feel, 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 feel. Where is the revelation of what God has said? That's why I tell people, don't marry with feelings. Don't, don't, don't move beyond. They are important, but they are inferior. They're important, but they're inferior. Those are secondary. Somebody shout hallelujah. But to see that God will change purpose for a man because of the revelation that he has concerning God, because God does not only love as an action, but he is love, agape. He is love, agape. 
and he that loveth not, agapeth not, knoweth not God. This is his problem with Peter. You don't know me yet enough, so I cannot give you that. Let me give you this responsibility. Are you hearing what I'm saying? As you continue understanding God in agape, in the love, the highest form of love, you will find yourself doing things entirely out of love, not transaction, not feeling, not condition. Be ready to preach the gospel in and out of season. If you don't love God enough, there are seasons you will not feel like you can get out of that bed. Those of you who have lived with me for so many years understand this, and I'm not saying that boastfully. I don't serve God under feeling. I have been present wherever the Lord needed me. Because something died years ago. And I tell people that you have to undergo that death. The Bible says that the seed abideth alone until it falls to the ground and die. And when it does, the Bible says it will bring forth much fruit. It will bring forth many results in life. You see? So do you understand why you're not able to bring the results, to do whatever you're supposed to have, the influence and power that you're supposed to have? You are not yet dead. Love kills you. I said love kills you. I say the love of God kills every essence of feeling and emotion and starts to cause you to do things even when you feel otherwise because you love God. That's why Paul says, woe unto me, I am a cast if I don't preach the gospel. I mean, who was going to beat this guy if he didn't leave his home? But why does he say, necessities laid upon me to preach the gospel? Who put that necessity on him? Why does he feel a necessity that other people are not feeling? In dying often. He says, I'm dead yet, I live yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself freely for me. This is a dead man. This love will take you to a sudden death to the self. Because I know many people who have, in the name, in the name of being led by the Spirit, have actually fulfilled their own selfish comforts and frustrated the bigger picture of the kingdom. And they're saying, I felt the spirit tell me. But the spirit cannot conflict truth. The spirit cannot conflict truth. Somebody tells you, I've not been in church for 20 years, 15 years, four months, the spirit did lead me. Listen, the Bible says, do not give up the fellowship as some have done. Do not give up the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But he says, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching, don't give up the responsibility of congregating with a believer to pray. And then somebody tells you the Holy Spirit told them to spend four months, five months, six months, one year. I would understand if it's a week or two, or a few, you know, a definitive time of consecration. If somebody tells you they've not been in church for 10 years because the Spirit refused them to go in church for 10 years, that's a demon spirit. Give it a name. That's not the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you're conflicting truth. God has not called us in an order that forsakes the assembly. Only sit with two or three. But don't forsake it. It might land you in trouble. You might die with another spirit. I've seen people who start like that and they go off. You're following? 
but they were led by, in the name of, as led by the Holy Spirit. You're routing mischief by some law. You're walking off the way of God by some scripture because you know you can. Then you forsake the higher ones, the weightier matters. You follow? And I see that all the time. Understanding, understanding, understanding. Just say you didn't want to just go to church. That is the real truth. You felt lazy. You felt feeling again, skipping Sydney, feeling, 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 feeling. Praise God. <laughs> but don't quote God in that. Are you following what I'm saying? Otherwise, all of us can be led not to minister. Even us, we can just look and say, I wasn't led. But here the Bible tells you, be ready in and out of season to preach the gospel. I wasn't led. Be ready in and out of season to preach the gospel. I wasn't led. You understand? How do those two reconcile? Let me tell you something. Some of us, we admire some of you who still have those decisions. Who can, you know, go away with certain things. Some of us cannot anymore. Because we are arrested for your sake. For your sake. Let me tell you. To whom much is given, much is required. You can't run away from that. So, as much as you're taking in, remember God demands their lives that you're positioning yourself to minister to. Except if you say, I'm stopping. But the moment you continue charging yourself and that battery is full, brother, those applications will perform. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, I feel sorry for the one who charges and the battery is full and then they say, I don't feel like... <laughs> what? Are you following what I'm saying? Love. It kills you. You learn to die to the self and live beyond yourself and do things even without your convenience but for the bigger law, the higher law. It's called maturity. Somebody shout hallelujah. Second thing, humility of spirit. Humility of spirit. The Lord showed me years ago. He said, I can only use you. I can only speak to you. I can only reveal myself to you. I can only work with you according to how broken you are to me. The harder you are, the harder it is for me to relate with you because by nature, the person of the Holy Spirit is a gentle spirit. Are you learning something? The Holy Spirit does not impose, he does not foist, he does not, you know, he's not the kind who will fight with you. Because he's driven by love. So he's an inviting person. Let me love you enough to bend so I can work with you. That's how God works. But you know how we can be so proud and not know that we are proud? Because I know people who don't know that they are proud. And that's the thing that, you know, some people are dealing with because outward they look humble people but when you check them inside they have hardened their heart on some instruction some little small instruction the humility of the spirit is important the bible says in psalms 25 verses 9 the meek he will guide in judgment and the meek will he teach his ways god teaches the humble god guides the humble into his judgments what are judgments? Judgments are the places where we reconcile our intellect with 
the revelation of God. Because it's not just enough to have revelation. It's another thing when your intellect is reconciled. It says that the wisdom of God operates on your life or through you according to the revelation of God. That is judgment. And it says, he guides in judgment to them which are meek. You learn to break and humble yourself. You learn to break and humble yourself. And eventually there are things or instructions that God will give you to humble you. God will put certain people in your life to humble you. You were raised in your father's house. I met one time a girl I was counseling and she told me, for me, my father taught me to speak my mind. I speak it as it is. I drop it as it's hot. I just say it. And then she enters a marriage of a man who was raised differently. And the time this darling girl is supposed to be quiet, her mouth is open because she needs to speak her mind on anything. Pooh! I need to speak. Pooh! Because this guy was kind of, he didn't know how to shut her up, so sometimes he would have to give her a high five on her. You know? <laughs> and then she come for counseling. And I told her, darling, just keep quiet. Sometimes just learn just, no, if I have an opinion, I have to give it. And I told her, but you lose teeth. Opinion and teeth, would you choose? Says teeth. She answered teeth. I said, now choose teeth. Choose to keep your teeth. I started to teach her how a wife fights in silence. I started to teach her how a wife communicates without speaking. And God started to rebuild it. She lacked judgment. She lacked judgment. The opinion was not what was the issue. She lacked judgment. And in there was a spirit of pride that would not be corrected. And she was dealing with a guy who didn't know God. What do you expect? Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you following? God, I think, just brought that one in her life to humble her. God can bring people through many ways. He can bring your boss there, and then you thought you had understood yourself, and then God brings a certain guy, and he just supervises you for six months. And everything you never thought you were starts to come out. You never thought you could quarrel. Then you find yourself speaking words. And even say, I thought I'd even gotten rid of this. No, it was there. It was just hidden. It was just waiting for that opportunity. <laughs> what about the man of God he gives you? Do you know how much we've taken out of some of you? Oh, 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 oh. People are just seeing this, but they don't know. Now we've fought with some of you. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, my goodness. But he knew that I could manage and I could understand you where you were. Do you understand what I'm saying? God will bring people and things, create circumstances, but for him, he just wants to break you. And some of you understand. In your earlier years, they couldn't even sit you down for five minutes, but you can now sit through a sermon and not even check the time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. But it's in that meekness that instruction starts to come. It's in that meekness that God starts to do things in your life that you never thought he would do. It's in that meekness that God starts to shape the minister that he wants to use. It's in taking, you know, correction, taking exhortation, taking rebuke. And you say, mm, this is mine, but yeah, God, deal with me. It takes humility to even be corrected. Because there are people who are always right in everything. They are never wrong. Even when they stand before God, he's wrong. Why did you anoint me? Eh? Did I ask you to send me? Eh? Eh? And then God looks at this kid and says, God is merciful.
Somebody shout hallelujah. He will guide you when you learn to break. Be humble. Don't assume to know everything. Sometimes humility will cause you to say sorry even when you are the right one. Yes, you know why some haven't clapped? About, you don't know what you're talking about, Apostle. I know because I live it. Sometimes humility will cause you to choose peace even where you could win the war. It will cause you to spare and tolerate even what you could destroy in a day. Because there's a bigger picture and law that you're undergirding in your spirit. The work of God. The work of God. The work of God. That it by no means will not bring shame and reproach to the work of God. And it begins with the presence. How you go to the presence of God and how broken you are in his presence. He says, for a broken and contrite spirit, I shall by no means, what? Despise. Why do you think he exalts the humble and he sees the proud from afar? Why aren't you living in answered prayer? Some of you deal with this huge, huge place of pride in your heart and you can't let it go in some of the areas you're actually asking God for. And he's saying, no, this is all yours. It's actually given. But I want to help you. I want to deal with you. Let this mind be in you as was in Christ, who found it no robbery to be like God, but humbled himself as unto the cross. How dare they touch me? Your Lord was touched. Your Lord was touched. Your Lord was smitten and left naked and bare on the cross. It happened. But therein was the power that brought salvation to you. Some of you, you're too proud for God to bend. You're too proud for God to send. You're too proud for God to instruct. You're too proud for God to direct. You're too proud for God to use. You are so proud. And maybe it's your education. Perhaps you have like a PhD, a degree, a diploma. Eh? So you cannot evangelize because, I mean, how can they see you evangelizing with a degree? <laughs> Very funny. Are you following what I'm saying? Some of you, you have a lot of money. So where you are, you cannot come down to the poor because you know you're up there and you're frustrating the grace operating on your life because of pride. Walk out of pride. Lastly, number three. Ha! It's called the power of little or small things. The power of little or small things. Understand the mind of God on the power of little or small things. And I'm going to share it deeply here. It's in the way of God. It's a pattern of God. It's a divine principle of God. That wherever a divine appointments, elevation of glories, or increase of graces, God usually works or begins with the little things, the least things. The Bible says that this is to the intent and the decree of the watchers and the holy ones that the living may know that the Lord rules among the kingdom of men and that he gives it to the basest of men, that God rules in the kingdom of men and he gives it to the least of men. It's just the way of God that when he's appointing, when he's elevating, when he's establishing, usually he wants to work with the small or from the small. How the kingdoms are given to the least of men is just the way of God. He looks firstly with the least from there and then builds a testimony or a narrative with the person. 
Look at Saul. When Israel asked for a king, God went to the smallest tribe, the poorest family, and the least of that family because the name Saul means little one. Did you know? It means little one. And then he what? He raised him. You're following what I'm saying? God is not interested in beginning from up. He begins from down. That's how he works. That's why in Zechariah he says, who shall despise the day of what? Small beginnings. He begins from that small one and exalts them and they become the biggest. He calls the biggest from the smallest. I think that's the word. That's why he goes for Saul. From the humblest tribe, the humblest household. And then he creates greatness there. That's just how God works. He says, brethren, let us consider our callings. Not many of us were wise. Not many of us were noble. Not many of us were mighty. And the Bible says, and he chose the smallest foolish things of the world that he might shame the wise. He chose the weakest things of the world. He chose those ones that you never expected. May I tell people the reason why I am standing is because I was listed in many ways. When I look at my family background, when I look at my exposure, I was listed in many ways. We just don't tell our stories. I am living proof that God can use anybody. Me, I believe. If he could use me, he can use anybody. He can use anybody. He can. But he's a God who does not despise those small little things. So in the bigger sum of this revelation, God does not despise or look down on the smallest instructions of your life because he's actually in the smallest instructions of life. That is why I tell people, wisdom begins when a man is able to see or hear God in the most trivial, the most elementary, the most casual things of life. When you are able to hear God in the smallest, simplest, trivial, trivial, like he's there, it's, it's not of much importance, the most unimportant things of life. If you're able to hear God or see him, then wisdom. You see when the Bible tells us that wisdom is on the streets, that's the essence. Of why wisdom is on the streets. It's not in the palaces. It's not in the skyscrapers, 24th floor. It's in the most common places. And God will bring the deepest wisdom in the most common places. And you know, many people lose God because he appears in the familiar, not the unfamiliar. Do you know God can speak through your son and you ignore him and then your pastor says something and you think, yeah, because my pastor has spoken, is the right one. But God has spoken through a young kid. When I was eight years old, eight, I was having breakfast with my mother and I get this vision and she's in a car accident and I turned it and I said, Mama, I see an accident, but you will not die. See, what's wrong with this boy? She made me tea. Then that day there was a neighbor who had died. She sat in that matter to of 21 passengers and then my father stopped it. The moment was leaving. I just left and then he stopped it. He just felt the nudge to come back and go bury. He stopped that car, sat in that car, about 180 kilometers away from there, that car overturned. 
and three or four people survived. My mom was supposed to be in that accident. And by vision, she would have died. And I was eight. But if that woman would not hear God in the smallest things, perhaps her life would have been taken. Are you following what I'm saying? I tell people that for me, when God began to speak to me, it wasn't those open visions of angels. No, no. Of course, I was hearing God, but to a certain degree. Like I said, there are degrees of hearing God. Moses sees a temple, builds it like he sees it, and John the Revelator goes to heaven where Moses saw the temple, and John the Revelator said, and there was no temple, but God the Father and Jesus were the temple thereof. So what did Moses build? Moses built a revelation of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's the vision that he could have because that is where he was able to understand God from, not necessarily where God was. Are you following me? When John the Revelator goes there, he sees the Father plainly. He sees the Lamb plainly. He knows the person of the Holy Spirit plainly. God does not speak to all of us the same way. You can actually say you hear God, but in what degree do you hear God? Are you following, brother? That's just the way. So me, I'm in this hostel, I'm in my university, and then I eat this banana, and then after that, I wrap it in a toilet paper, and then I go out and just a few feet there is a dustbin and some tell me why don't you shoot you're a good shooter basketball so i get this thing and the thing goes at the mouth of the bin and hits pop, and then falls down confidently i walk back i know now some people are like this guy how do you do that that's what happened and then, as I'm reaching my door, the Spirit of the Lord said, go back and pick that rubbish and put it in the dustbin. And I know why some of you cannot get this, because you think the Holy Spirit only speaks of angels in wings and God in his glory and the blistering anointing. That's why they think God speaks from little small trivial thing it disturbed the person of the holy spirit that i was littering and then a born again christian is eating what maize and then they open the window fire do you know it's not godly to litter it's not godly to litter from then on i know i put everything i call rubbish i don't litter i don't litter because I didn't know God was in that too. So if you still litter, <laughs> you have not yet had God. <laughs> Let me tell you, there is a degree where you reach and certain things start making sense to you to know that he's actually God of order. That he even cares that you should wash your boxer. You can't be tongue speaking and <laughs> Somebody shout hallelujah. I started hearing God in those small things. And I remember after putting that in, as I was walking in, he said very loudly, you're starting to hear my voice. May I expect that the first time I would hear him, it would be an angelic visit. No, of course I was hearing him, but in a lower level. That day, I was elevated to hear God deeper. Somebody shout hallelujah. I was elevated to hear God deeper. And my journey began like that. And I started hearing God through the simplest, most 
trivial things that I could just sit here and look at a child walk and God starts speaking. I could look at an old woman walking and God starts speaking. I could look in the sky in just a few minutes and a huge revelation would hit me. I'd look at the four legs of a car and revelation would come. I'd look at how a steering works and revelation will come because I was trained to hear him in the most casual things. I can look at how somebody's dressed and I can read their life just by looking at how they're dressed. Even if they're smart as anything, I can look at them and see everything just by how they're dressed. I could look into people's eyes and speak into their lives because I could pick those little small things. That's why the Bible says, when Paul says, God appears to him and says, for this reason have I appeared to you, that you will be a what? A minister of those things I have what? Showed you, and in the things I shall appear to you. Jesus appears to us in many forms. We just know one, which you saw in a movie, and that usually is not Jesus. Because it doesn't look like that. You know, when you study ancient Jewish Roman culture, eh? when you go back to the Greek gods, it was a fundamental symbol for a Greek god to appear with hair and a certain way of a beard. And so when Christ is designed in the New Testament, he must appear with a beard and hair, and some sort of hair, a certain way. Let me tell you. Jesus was not handsome. Looking. That's the hard truth. The Bible says there was nothing. No beauty. Isaiah 53 verse 2. He wasn't as handsome as David. So, you see, then you see this guy, the passion, and then you imagine that, and then you keep that picture, and then some familiar spirit appears, and you're like, Jesus appeared to me, he had long hair and a beard, and then you, oh. The vision of Jesus is a vision of the spirit, and it goes beyond the mental picture you have about him, that when he appears to you, you know him, not by how he looks, but by who he is. That's where some of us miss it. I've had visitations, encounters. Ask any man who has had a real encounter. I'm not talking about those ones who say he came and then a familiar spirit was there. No, I'm talking about a real vision of the Christ. He cannot be defined by the look of a man. It's deeper than that. The essence of God out of that person is an amazing vision to see. It's an amazing vision to see. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So he says, and of those things in which I shall appear to you. If in the Old Testament he appeared as a rock. And Moses, even before that rock became, Moses could see him as he was. The Bible says he refused to be called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. Refusing pleasure and treasures that came with Egypt. And the Bible says he esteemed Christ greater riches. That means Moses had a vision of Christ before he came in the flesh. Christ. The word there is Christ, not Jesus. He had a revelation of Christ. Esteeming Christ's greater riches. That means Christ, the revelation, does not appear as Jesus. The bodily form is Jesus. The spirit form is Christ. The anointed one. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. The language there used was Christ. That's what Isaiah saw. 
He saw Christ, not Jesus. Jesus appears from the womb of Mary. Are you following what I'm saying? God does not despise little things. It's those small statements that sometimes you might receive from an altar. Those little small things. My goodness, he's in those instructions. Oh, the preacher told us, don't come alone, carry somebody. It's not the preacher telling you. God is trying to tune you to the heart of evangelism. To tell you every week, find a soul you'll bring in the presence and I will bless you. But because he has not added, I will bless you. And he has not added, thus saith the Lord, then he has not what? Spoken. But look at the people who do that. Their lives are transforming. But you sit in a church for years, you don't evangelize, you don't call anyone, you don't reach out to anyone, and then you're asking yourself why things are stuck in your life. Oh, I appeared in the small, and you could not discern me. And you think you could understand me in a higher voice? What do you think was the problem with Elijah? The thunder came, the earthquake. God wasn't in it. The fire came. God wasn't in that fire. And then he appears in a still small voice because it's just the way of the Lord. He appears in the least expected things and people. I went to school with a friend who was a deep fellow, very anointed. And then one day, there used to be this girl. He tells us a story. She used to sit in the back. Very normal girl. She met this guy who was a man of God in school and said, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, we'll meet. Bounce down. Next time, please, I need to talk to you. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll meet. But you know, she was not the important one. And then on the last day, I think they were going back home. He finds us seated in the back of the classroom. The time had come to an end. And then he walks to her and says, oh, sorry, I've been meaning to see you, but I've been busy, you know, in the work of the Lord and, you know. And then the girl said, you know, I'm sorry, it's a bit late. The Lord had given me a prophetic word of your father's house. The guy said she first defined and described to detail their whole home. And after defining everything in their house, she told the man, he came late. So God actually had a prophetic word for this fellow. But it was in a girl in a certain back of the classroom who doesn't look like she knows God. He has a way of appearing in the least expected. It's those little small instructions. Had the pastor once tell you, you should never find the pastor on the altar. I've shared it in this church. It is spiritually an error. And it is a grieving work to the Holy Spirit for you to find the preacher on the altar already. That means God has to work in your own time. Learn to come to church on time. Discipline your life. That was a small instruction. Ah, it was trivial. I'll do the bigger ones. No. No. I tell people, if you cannot be late for a, an interview, if you cannot be late for a flight, you should not be late for the presence of God. There will always be exceptions. Maybe you come from far or your car broke down. Those are things the Lord will understand because they're between you and him. So don't judge everyone who walks in. It's not your part. But examine yourself. Why do you wake up and you know you're supposed to be in church? And then you come 30 minutes in and you are dressing on your own speed. Small little instructions. And people who come that way, when you check their lives, they're the stuck ones. They're the struggling ones. They're the ones who are looking for an answer and every prophet to prophesy in their lives. Why? 
Because they've ignored the smaller voice. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 16 verses 10, if you're not faithful in that which is least, you will not be faithful in much. It's a principle. At least can you receive the instruction of the altar? Pastor tells you, carry three people. Say, God, you've sent me. Let me do this. That's an instruction. Take it as an instruction from God. Receive every instruction of the altar from God. If you don't trust the ministry, look for where you can trust. Small little things. Some of you are in your committee. Your leader says, we are praying on Tuesday. That's an instruction from God. No power except that which is of God is given. And he that resisteth the power resisteth the ordinances of God. So it is very possible to be in deep rebellion, but without knowing it, because God has spoken in the most trivial way. It's those little small things. I have learned to hear God in the smallest way. I was driving somewhere and I found a group of people, there were about 10 of them, and I had not known that they were pastors, but I knew one of them as a friend of mine. And then I parked my car, and then as I got out, the Spirit of the Lord told me, go and greet those people. So I parked my car because I knew one of them, and I walked there, and then I reached, hey, I want to say hello. And then I bowed a little and I said, praise God, how are you? I was just saying hello. I just felt late to say hello. Have a good day. And I walked away. So the guy that I knew later called me. And then said, Apostle Grace, you won't believe. When you parked your car, one lady on that group asked, is that Apostle Grace? And I said, yes. And she said, I was told that that's the most proud man the world has ever seen. That she was told I was the most proud person the world has ever seen. He's unapproachable. Look at the humor of God. <laughs> the most proud man gets out of his car and walks to them. Not only does he greet, but even bows a little to them. And I remember I first heard a beat. I didn't know she had just spoken. So after greeting and I'm walking away, this guy tells me she repented. Lord have mercy on me. Why? Because Look at how I win a person by a simple instruction. Greeting. Greeting. Ah, whether I greet or not, God is with you. Of course he is. Of course he is. <laughs> whether you do this or not, of course God is with you. But learn to obey those small little instructions. Sometimes we are on conferences and then you tell people, please shift here and then come here. And then you see a face you've preached to for four years and it refuses. And then I wish I wanted to sit this guy down and tell him, look, you're grieving the spirit. Just obey what they're telling you. Let those who don't know God ignore instruction, not you. Every instruction that comes from the altar. Someone might be worshiping and he'll tell you, raise your hands and just thank God. Listen, don't think it's just the worshiper's way. Raise those hands and just do it. You don't know what difference that will make over the years. Because God has promised, if you can hear me in that little small instruction, you'll hear me when the bigger one comes. And if you can't hear me in that small instruction, you cannot hear me when the bigger one Let's just speak to God. Just speak to God. Change me. Change me. Lord, by your spirit, change me. Yesterday is gone. 
Today I'm in need, Lord, by your Spirit, change me, change me, speak to God, change me, Lord, by your Spirit, change me. Yesterday's cold, and today I'm in need. Lord, by your spirit, tell him I need you, Jesus. Need you, Jesus. Lord, by your spirit, I need you. Yes, that is God. And today I'm in need. Lord, by your spirit. Need you. Lead me, Jesus. Lead me, Jesus. Lord, by your spirit. That is gone, yes, is gone. Yeah. Lord, by your spirit, spirit, change me, Jesus. Change me, Jesus. Lord, by your spirit. everyone that has been spoken tonight will bring forth fruit that will echo through eternity in Jesus name say amen hallelujah if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ repeat these words after me say Lord Jesus I thank you because you died for my sins and was raised for my glory today I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. 
Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.